Hi, I'm Taylor. Hi, and I'm Kara, and welcome to A Latte Murder, the new podcast about true crime, conspiracies, and anything else that comes to mind. Bring a cup of caffeine and join us for a latte fun. So, little disclaimer for everybody. Uh, we don't know what we're doing. Yes. We don't have any professional equipment. Nope. We are recording off. I have the still wired headphones for my MacBook. Yep. <laughs> and Taylor has the second generation AirPods. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, the, that's, those the are the microphones. Ones. Yeah. So, those are the microphones we're talking <laughs> into. We are not professional. By any no. name. And but, we're recording this on Zoom, so yep, yep. Uh, there might be, you know, I'll try to edit out as much as I can, glitchy-wise. Mm-hmm. Also, I have a stuffy nose, so you'll hear me sniffling throughout. I might be yelling at my dog a couple times, so yeah. <laughs> she's sleeping yes. now. We might have some time. Yes. All right, so we'll talk a little bit about us, just to get you guys um, to know us a little bit better. So my name's Taylor. I am a physician assistant student. So for this podcast, I'll try to be putting in medical information or, um, you know, give little blurbs about if we encounter any medicine throughout, you know, any case that we're talking about. So a little bit will come in today. So this is Kara talking. I know sometimes when multiple people are on a podcast, nobody knows who's talking. So I'm Kara. I am also a student. So I am going to school for two master's degrees. My first master's degree is in clinical mental health counseling. And my second master's degree is in forensic psychology. So we are recording this December of 2020. And I graduate May of 21. And I believe Taylor graduates August of 21. Yep. So um, we're very close. um, (laughs) So we are somewhat professionals in this. Um, So with Taylor doing the medical piece of it, I will bring in the psychology piece of it, um, some diagnosing stuff, some forensic stuff. And I know that I will at least be referencing textbooks that I'm reading and stuff for my classes into these podcasts. I don't know. We're kind of professionals. We're almost there. This time <laughs> yeah, we'd like year, to think, we'll have degrees. <laughs> we'd like to think, and then we'll get feedback from people and be like, that was wrong. Like, especially me, like I also, I'm lazy, so I don't want to do as much research on things, but I will. And I, today mm-hmm. I found some research articles I'll mention, but nice. you know, nice. I try not to be too technical. I want to be fun and you know, I don't want to throw out all this medical jargon and throw people off, so. Right, right. And like we said, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. So, so, and we've been best friends for nine years. Yep. Um, we've always been interested in true crime, listening to podcasts, watching, like, documentaries together. So, this is just, you know, another thing that we could do and learn more about true crime and um, anything we can think of and anything our audience recommends and we'll take ideas as they come and criticisms and adapt throughout yeah absolutely um it's episode one we're new we don't know what we're doing yes <laughs> and uh we're just we're just gonna go with it so mm-hmm. all right so Kara picked this week's 
murderer or serial killer. Oh, is he a serial killer? Yeah. He is, he is considered a mass murderer, but we'll mass get to murder. We'll get to that. All right. So this week we're doing Richard Speck. So Richard Speck's an American mass murderer, as Kara mentioned, not a serial killer, technically. He's known for his murder of eight student nurses in a South Chicago community hospital. And he has some other uh, crimes throughout his life, but those are the ones that he is known for. Am I correct in that, Kara? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like and like we said, we're we're still trying to figure it out. This first episode, we figured we'll give you guys just a brief overview of these crimes, and then we'll go into more like biography stuff, and mm-hmm. then we'll do the the crime in more detail, which I think yeah. is gonna. Because, you know, some people might not know who some of these people are. Yes. Okay, Taylor, do you want to go into his childhood a little bit? Yeah. All right. So, Richard Speck was the seventh of eight children. So, had a lot of siblings. Um, When he was six years old, uh, his father died. Um, And if, Kara, if you want to add anything while I'm, like, saying this, because I just, I think, I tried to go in chronological, but I don't know if I bounce around or whatnot. So, sure. Um. His father died when he was six. Um, his stepfather was, so his mom got remarried, um, and his stepfather was an alcoholic, and he was abusive towards all the children. And um, when his mother got remarried, she let Speck finish second grade um, at his school, but then in, for third grade, they moved to Texas. So apparently this guy, the stepfather, was the complete opposite of his father. He was, like I said, abusive and alcoholic. And according to Wikipedia, at least, his father was a good man. He was sober. He didn't beat his kids. Um, So this probably was the big downfall for Richard Speck. And I don't know if his siblings have any issues. Like, I haven't heard anything and nothing came up on my research. But um, it seemed, at least for him, that he was, you know, getting the worst of it. And he also had uh, psychological abuse. His stepfather would insult him and threaten him constantly. Um, so that definitely plays with the kid's mind and what he, how he reacts and what he gets into. You know, doesn't want to be at home, doesn't feel safe. Um, so he went to school in Dallas. And it says that he refused to wear glasses. Like he needed glasses and refused to wear them. So he started to struggle in school, which I thought was just an interesting but you know I guess it makes sense you know a third grader doesn't want to wear glasses and he can't see anything and he also didn't talk much in class because he's always apparently had a fear of people staring at him and you know didn't want you know the attention on him at all so he dropped out of school at age 16 because he was failing I guess you know in third grade it started to go downhill by 16 he was just failing all his classes and just didn't return the next year he started drinking at age 12, as far as I saw, and by age 15, he was getting drunk almost every day, and this is also something we'll go into, like, a little later. Kara's going to talk about the brain injuries that he had throughout his childhood, but also, along with brain injuries, he's getting drunk. He's doing drugs at such a young, young age, your brain's still developing, so that definitely affects what you're brain is going to be like when you're older and any you know disorders or personality issues or behavioral issues could come from that so if you want to talk about the you know brain injuries or anything else you want to add for that sure sure so 
I have that. So the article that I'm going to be um, referencing for this information is um, an article that is called The Mind of a Murderer. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a book. The Mind of a Murderer, Privileged Access to the Demons that Drive Extreme Violence. So I don't have the first name of that author, but the last name of the author is Bram Fland, if you are interested in looking that up. So I have that. Um, so Ramsland says in his book that Speck was a sick child. Um, it doesn't go into a whole lot of detail, but um, I'm assuming it's one of those things where you're just sick all the time as a kid, mm-hmm. um, which has to be extremely frustrating. So you mentioned that his father died when he was five. His brother also died. One of his brothers also died within five years of his father dying. So he has two traumatic I'm going to assume traumatic experiences as chi- mm-hmm. as a child with losing his father and then losing one of his siblings. Yeah. Um, so with his head injuries, um, when he was five, he suffered a head injury from a hammer. At the age of six, he fell out of a tree and was knocked unconscious. Um, later in childhood, I don't have an exact age on that. He ran into an awning, which caused him to have severe and repetitive headaches. And then again, later in childhood, I don't have an exact year on it. He suffered from another head injury, which was not specified um, what kind or anything like that. You mentioned that he started drinking and doing drugs at the age of 12. That's also Mm -hmm. when he got involved in the criminal justice system. Um, A lot of the times when you start out as a kid in the criminal justice system, it's really hard to pull yourself back out. And then you said he dropped out of high school when he was 16. I have, you know, he dropped out in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have, um, uh, at the age of 18, he resented his mother and actually beat his mother when he was 18. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. And he began to believe that women did not deserve to be treated nicely, which mm-hmm. we will obviously see as, um, we go into the actual murders of the mm-hmm. nursing students. Yeah. I mean, if he's seeing, I don't have on, you know, my research that his stepfather was abusive towards his wife as well, like Speck's mm-hmm. father, but I'm sure, you know, that I'm sure he saw that. I'm sure that, you know, and seeing that as a kid having brain injuries, then potentially, you know, drinking and taking drugs to try to numb those headaches or numb those, you know, things that he's experiencing is just, you know, a bad, bad combination of mm-hmm. things. So yeah, it doesn't surprise me that he would think like women don't need to be treated with the utmost respect because he didn't have a good role model for that and you know Mm -hmm. maybe this all could have been different if he his father didn't pass when he was younger but who knows what what would have happened yeah yeah and it's and it definitely goes back to that nature nurture argument that we have in psychology of is it your genetics Mm -hmm. that create who you are so are people born monsters or are people or monsters made Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is really hard to pinpoint. I don't think we have an answer and it could be a combination of both. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's super interesting to know all these things about Richard Speck growing up mm-hmm. and being like, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't make what he did. Okay. Yeah. Um, however, it does kind of lay out the floor plan of like, yes, I could see how this would happen considering his upbringing and his head injuries mm-hmm. and having an abusive stepfather. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the, the hammer incident was if he just got clunked in the head with a hammer or like someone purposely, you know, hit him with a hammer on the head. Right. 
you know, right. those it's, are yeah. different experiences. I would say like, you know, if your stepfather mm-hmm. whacks you the head with a hammer, it's going to be different. And if you just, it fell on you on when you were like doing work one day or something. Right. Right. But yeah, it's right. definitely and, interesting. Right. And at the time of the hammer incident, I don't know if his stepfather was even in his life at that point. There isn't a lot oh, of yeah. De- yeah, there isn't a lot of detail about his um, four or five different types of brain injuries, but the history of traumatic brain injuries is definitely there for mm-hmm. sure with him. Yeah. So. And I'd like to see, you know, I didn't think about this beforehand doing research, but I'd like to see where his siblings were at, you know, if they mm-hmm. had anything similar or if they're, you know, if they're in the yeah. criminal justice system or if they just went on to live normal lives, you know, because every kid's different, but, you know, they had a similar upbringing. So that can also bring in the nature versus nurture argument. Like if these kids went through the same thing, how did they turn out? Right, right. It's it's definitely interesting um, to see how different people or how siblings can grow up in the same house and have mm-hmm. completely different outcomes, be raised yeah. the same, be treated the same, and have mm-hmm. completely different lives yeah definitely interesting oh yeah so since we just talked about the brain injuries I'll go into a little bit about that so I found an article called traumatic brain injury a potential cause of violent crime there's a lot of authors on it the first one is Williams uh, the last name Williams and then the second one's Chitsabiasin but I'm sure if you search the title you'll be able to find it on you know, Google Scholar. So this was just like study actually that looked at um, traumatic brain injuries in younger people, young adults and children, and how that compromises their neurologic function. And if it increases any behavioral disorders and um, psychiatric, you know, problems as they age. So they did see that a lot of offenders and killers had a traumatic brain injury in their childhood. I don't remember. I didn't write down the exact number. I know I read another article. I forget what it was, but it said like 21%. I think they had of like, you know, I think it was like 300 offenders had um, some type of traumatic brain injury, which is, you know, a good amount, I think. So obviously we see this a lot in killers and offenders. We'll see that they have a history of a brain injury whether that's from abuse or just coincidental, they fell, hit their head, but it does seem to make a big impact on them as they, they age. And not like I had, I have had concussions throughout my childhood, but that doesn't mean, you know, I'm going to become a, you know, an offender or a serial killer or whatever. So they said that the biggest thing, which I thought was super interesting was that the people that they see that are affected by their brain injuries in a negative way, as in, you know, they have behavioral problems, psychiatric disorders, that it's because they had a lack of treatment for them, which makes sense in the long run. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these, you know, not every person doesn't have access to the treatment, but, you know, a lot of, we see that a lot of serial killers or offenders come from like a lower income and they aren't able to get the treatment or their parents just like brush it off, especially if their parents are abusive and they're the one that caused the brain injury. They're not going to take them for treatment of it. These brain injuries, the biggest thing is that these 
people that are actually suffering the effects of them later on in life are the kids that didn't get the treatment early on, which makes sense. And also, if you think about it, these kids that are having these, like especially Speck, let's say, he has these brain injuries and most likely his stepfather, someone in the family, like did that to him. So why were, are they going to take him to get looked at at a hospital where they could get in trouble? And I don't know what the standards were for calling CPS. It would make sense for the offender not to bring the child for treatment. Right. Um, so, yeah, because he did have treatment, I think, is the biggest thing of why he probably suffered the effects later on. I mean, I don't know if he didn't have treatment or not. I'm assuming he didn't, but I don't know. His mother could have brought him to the hospital. I'm not sure the whole story behind that for Speck specifically. That's what this article found. So the article just talked more about how the treatment for these brain injuries can ultimately reduce the outcomes for people having behavioral or psychiatric uh, disorders later on in life. But like we've said, you've said, you know, you can't always blame the head injury. You can't say that this person did these things because their brain, you know, was hit and like they got hit in the head and have a brain injury because that's not an excuse to kill people. Obviously, we don't know what's what his brain was like at that time. You know, a lot of kids suffer brain injuries, concussions and stuff, and they don't become killers. So, you know, it's just a back and forth because it's interesting to look at the brain injuries and say, Mm -hmm. hey, he had five brain injuries and he became a serial killer. But, you know, I'm sure there's another kid in the world that had five brain injuries and became a lawyer. You know, like you don't know. You can't say that. Yeah, for um, sure. A cause and effect. Yeah, for sure. And it does go back to that nature-nurture thing. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's hard to tell what specifically made Speck who he was. Mm-hmm. I don't think we can really know that. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It's definitely. It's just interesting to see. And that's what we'll, I'm sure we'll continue mm-hmm. to see in episodes in the future is that we see these, you know, abused and head injuries and all these things. But you know, we need to also think about the other side that not everyone that goes through those experiences is going to become a serial killer or an offender or, you know, anything like that. So. Right. Right. That's why I think it'll be interesting for us to talk about childhood because, Mm -hmm. you know, from a psychological standpoint, I mean, there are so many theorists um, who talk about childhood and talk about developmental stages and, um, you know, like Freud's psychosexual stages. I mean, yeah. there's, there's so much that is ingrained in childhood experiences that, you know, causes and, and correlates with how people are as adults. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, childhood can be really left out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And you're seeing like these in these stories they're missing steps in development and that's detrimental for the future. And even as a functioning adult, like, you know, we never met him, you know, and and you're going to talk a little later about a book that you're talking about that someone who met Speck and like interviewed him, you know, you don't know if he was a fully functioning adult either. I don't know personally and like how he was interacting with people and, you know, even early on in school, he just didn't want to wear glasses and struggled and just struggling at that young age, you're missing those developmental milestones that you need to be hitting. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. 
Um, I go into, a, like, I have adulthood up next, like, before the murders. Let's do it. All right. So I have that Speck got married to Shirley Malone, which I had no idea. I was surprised because I was reading. I knew he was married and had a kid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but did you know how old she was when they met? Oh, she was like 17. Was she 17? 15. 15. 15. I, and he was 21. I was like, I was surprised. I mean, I'm not that surprised, but like. Twas a different time back in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, it just was threw me off like that. I just thought he like, you know, met a girl when he's in his 20s and got married and you know how you like normally see that play out. But yeah, no, yeah. she's 15. I don't know how they met. Um, I don't have that. And she was pregnant three weeks within meeting him. Jeez. Three weeks. Um, yeah, I, I just had that they had their daughter, but their relationship was short lived. And she actually like when they when she became pregnant, she moved in with his family. So I'm like, you know, that's another whirlwind. I'm sure that girl went through. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. And I think but his mother was divorced from his stepfather. I'm pretty sure at that time. Um, so it was just the mother and his sister, I believe, and like his sister's husband, or maybe it was his brother's wife. Like there was another couple living in their house. But I'm like, oh, that's a it's not a fun situation to go into, at least from what we heard about his childhood. So no, absolutely not. Especially, you know, fifteen. Yeah. I mean any age it's not good, but fifteen, I mean, you're <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're he's like grown. grown he's you know, he's 21 at the time like he's definitely you know a good amount older than her and mm -hmm. so yeah that was it's definitely an interesting point but um so that was in 1962 that I said that he got married and you know had his kid in 1963 Speck ended up in jail for theft and check fraud um so he's definitely like you said in childhood he was in you know the court system but Still in adulthood, he seemed to be getting in trouble for petty things, little things. He was paroled in 1964, um, but then ended back up in jail for aggravated assault for 16 more months in prison, but he only served six months. So, you know, that's, you know, not good because 1964, he committed murders in 1966. You know, you think that if you... I know it would have been exactly uh, up to 1966, but if he stayed in jail longer, would have would those you know murders have happened? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So right. Um, but yeah, after he got divorced, he went and stayed with his sister in Illinois. Um, so I think that's how he got back to Chicago area. So yeah, that's what I have for his adulthood before murders. I don't know if you have anything else to add. Um, I do have something to add um, when we talk about other crimes that he committed. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess I could go into that a little bit. Yeah, go for it. Um, so at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that he's considered a mass murderer. Mm -hmm. The difference between a mass murderer and a serial murderer is serial murders. So we think of like Ted Bundy, John Wayne mm -hmm. Gacy, BTK, all those, they, yeah. can, they commit their murders at different points in time. For mm -hmm. mass murderers, you know, we think of mass shooters, it's usually a one and done thing and they kill multiple people. Yeah. Um, so in this sense, Richard Speck is considered a mass murderer because he killed those nursing students at one point in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but 
a couple years or it might have been a couple months since I don't have the exact timeline before he murdered those nursing students. He was a suspect in Chicago, so he's still in the same area. He was a suspect of the rape of a 65-year-old woman named Virgil Harris and beating Mary Kay Pierce to death. Um, He was a suspect, and that's according to Murderpedia. Mm -hmm. He was a suspect in those crimes, but he avoided in-depth interrogation. Okay. Uh, So if that is true, then, you know, you could change mass murderer to serial killer Mm -hmm. because those are different points in time. But he was investigated for those crimes, but he wasn't... Um, in-depthly interrogated, and he was never convicted or tried mm-hmm. for those crimes. Um, okay. So who's to say if he did those things? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. If you, like, why why is that being pinned on him? You know, I'm not saying he did or didn't do it, mm-hmm. because I don't know, but did that come out after the fact of the murders, I'm assuming, like, that he did those other things? And, like, how do we know? Yeah, see, that I don't know. That is from an article titled Born to Raise Hell that was published in 2019. I don't, I mean, he's in Chicago the same time they're going on, those crimes are happening, but he was investigated for it, um, Mm -hmm. but was never tried for him or or convicted of him. So, yeah, which is interesting to think that if he did do it and he was convicted of those crimes, those Mm -hmm. nursing students would have not been killed and put through through yeah it is crazy to think about and I know even now it's like you know the justice system isn't the best it can be and you know people slip through the cracks but especially back then there's so much Mm -hmm. you know we didn't have all the resources we have now yeah it definitely is interesting that he is you know it seems like I don't in my head it's like I'm thinking like okay he did did that and then he goes and murders you know eight student nurses but it doesn't seem like any of his things were like he was thinking about doing them for a while, like planning them out. Like, it's just like spur of the moment seems like he just does like sees an opportunity and does it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll get into this later, but uh, he claims with the murder of the nursing students that he was just trying to steal. Yeah. Yeah. The murder was, you know, kind of a, a spur of the moment thing. Um, Yeah which is interesting and who, who knows what was true and what was not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, he yeah. could have potentially said that, Oh, I, I wasn't planning on killing them to get rid of the first degree murder charge mm-hmm. of meditation. Yeah. But I mean, it's hard to say what he's thinking at the time. Yeah. And I mean, to be in the mindset, like I'm going to go in this house and steal stuff, you know, you're not in the, you know, fully, their mindset I'm sure at that point especially we'll talk about how I said earlier he was says he was drunk and high on drugs at the time Mm -hmm. but like I I was reading that and I was thinking okay what were you gonna steal from student nurses I feel like at some level yeah he's not in the right state of mind and probably to do the other crimes he committed as well but what were you thinking going into that you're thinking like what are you gonna get from it what do you what do they have that you want do you have anything else crime-wise before we get into the student nurses? I think just one thing I want to add, um, if it's relevant in, in this part of the episode, is, you know, we were kind of talking about motive a little bit. You know, was he there yeah. to steal? Did he actually go in there with the intent of sexually assaulting, raping, and killing mm-hmm. these women? Um, we don't know. Um, yeah. 
if we want to get like super forensically technical, this type, I think he would be considered a disorganized asocial personality killer. So mm-hmm. um, in the textbook that I'm reading in my, in my friend's class right now by Holmes and Holmes, it is called, let me get the exact title for anybody who's interested, Profiling Violent Crimes. So an a, a disorganized asocial personality killer is somebody who is kind of spontaneous and has no plan. So he left fingerprints at the crime scene and he didn't mm-hmm. bother to hide any evidence. It was like, get in, get out, done, not even going to worry about covering yeah. up hiding bodies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so very disorganized, you know, he's not like Ted Bundy who's burying bodies or John Wayne Gacy who's burying bodies in, you know, his basement or his backyard or wherever he did it. Yeah. So I don't know if that's relevant. If it's not, you can cut yeah. it out, but... No, I think it's interesting, especially to, there are different types. Like, you know, I feel like people know the premeditated, like, I'm thinking about doing this. I have a target. I'm stock, I stalk them, like all this stuff, mm-hmm. or just like finding an opportunity, you know, you know, something like that. There's different styles, uh, what these serial killers, mass murderers do. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting to see, mm-hmm. you know, Ted Bundy, we keep mentioning, but like he was so calculated and he was just like that throughout his life anyway. Yeah. And intelligent. Seen, yeah. And he's super intelligent and thought out everything. But Speck had a crazy life and it seems like that matches with what he, mm-hmm. how he committed crimes. Yeah, for so. sure. And especially if, you know, he claims he was on drugs and alcohol during the, the mm-hmm. crime, that would also make sense of the of not having the calculated thought of, I should probably clean this up or I yeah. should probably hide these bodies. You know, it's, mm-hmm. he, and he claims, and we'll get into this later, he claims that he doesn't remember even doing it. Yeah. So if that is true, that would also make sense on why he would be disorganized and not organized because mm-hmm. he didn't try to cover anything up. Yeah. All right. So. So we've been talking around the subject, so I guess we can just talk about uh, the big case. So in 1966, on July 13th, around 11 p.m. 14th. 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 Okay, July 14th, 1966, <laughs> Speck entered, was it a dorm or what was it? Like, it was a townhouse. You know, it was townhouse. a townhouse. Okay. He entered a townhouse. Actually, why don't you explain it? Do you know how he got in? Because I, I just have the, you know, overview of. So I believe he just knocked on the door and he had a gun oh, in yes. his hand. So mm-hmm. I have, you know, he was holding a gun and he pushed his way when, I don't know who answered the door. I don't have that specifically, but one of the students opened mm-hmm. the door to see, you know, who's knocking at it and he mm-hmm. had a gun and he just pushed his way in. I actually, I think I have who opened the door, which is interesting I thought was interesting because the one, I believe the girl that opened the door is the one that got away from, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So right. I, th- I mean, I think it's interesting because one, he let this, the girl that opened the door, the first girl he saw forgot about her basically that when she was hiding under the bed. So I think that shows that he's not in the right state of mind. He didn't remember the first girl that he saw. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, so he entered um, the house with a gun. The girl who opened the door was named Corazon Amaro. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure how to pronounce it correctly. So she opened the door. He entered through uh, with a gun, as you said, and just had the girls all in one room that they were all sleeping in. There were actually nine girls there. Eight of them were victims of 
assault and murder, but the girls are Gloria Davy, Patricia Matusek, Nina Jo Schmall, sorry if I'm saying these wrong, Pamela Wilkening, Suzanne Ferris, Mary Ann Jordan, Merlia Gargulo, and Valentina Passion. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Corazon Amaro was the girl who hid under the bed and escaped. Yeah, and and remember, guys, these are nursing students. They're between mm-hmm. the ages of 20 and 24. I mean, yeah. these, are, these are young, aspiring women going out to do great things. Yeah, work in healthcare, help people, maybe even helping people with, like, psychiatric mm-hmm. you know, disorders. You don't know what they were going to get into, but it is really sad that they you know, met this fate because Mm -hmm. I'm sure they would have done great things in their careers and helped people and potentially would have helped people like Richard Speck if he didn't go down this path of life. For sure. So he said, like we said earlier, he just says he wanted to commit a routine burglary. But like I said, I'm like, what? I don't know if he knew it was nursing students in there. I don't know if he had any idea, like, who lived in that house or if he just entered not knowing what to expect, but, you know, I'm sure they didn't have much money to give him or whatever he was looking for, so that always throws me off, like, what did you, what were you hoping to gain from it, Mm -hmm. um, if you weren't planning on murdering them and assaulting them, um, so Speck had all the women in one room and then took each woman out individually, stabbing or strangling them one by one. And I have, I know we, we've kind of touched on this before, I think the podcast, Kara, but the last victim I have, he raped and strangled was Gloria Davy. Mm-hmm. And I, I just have that he raped her specifically. I don't know about the, the other girls, but mm-hmm. what he did, but you said that that looked like his ex-wife, apparently Gloria Davy. Yes. So um, the other thing about the, the Gloria Davy rape and murder is he did it in the same room that, I'm so sorry, I forget her name, um, the one who hid under the bed. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, Amaro is her last name. I think yeah, uh, Corazon uh, Amaro in the same room. He never took Gloria Davy out of that room like he did the other girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't imagine being Amaro and hiding under that bed. And mm-hmm. I think I think the the rape and the murder, I think it was about... 20 30 minutes so to have to stay quiet under that bed and listen to Mm -hmm. your friend and your housemate and your classmate go through Mm -hmm. that I I couldn't imagine having having to be there while that happens I know that like the poor girl I like can't even yeah I can't imagine you know I feel terrible it's awful what happened to the other eight Mm -hmm. student nurses but I can't imagine going through you know listening to all that and trying to keep quiet you know not hysterically crying or breaking down or you Mm -hmm. know just quiet enough that he doesn't hear you yeah Um, and and I couldn't imagine being all the girls sitting there in that room tied up waiting mm -hmm. for him to come back yeah you know like you know what's gonna happen yeah yeah and you just have like that hope in your head, like, oh, maybe he'll choose not to. All those things are probably going through their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I can't imagine. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So, which it makes it even like worse of a crime, at least in my head, like to think that he not only strangled and stabbed and raped women, but that he put the, all the other ones through the torture of listening to all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, and yeah, maybe that's... we don't know if that was his intent, like, 
or not, but that's Mm -hmm. what he did. And it just makes it even more horrific crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the psychological torture aspect of that too, of having to sit there and wait and mm-hmm. wonder if you're next or wonder mm-hmm. if, if something's going to happen. And yeah. I do know that, and I cannot remember the source, and I'm so sorry, but I remember reading something about how people just kept coming home. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't all there at, you know, when he entered the house. Mm, okay. They just kept coming home at different times, and that made him have to keep going yeah. and grabbing them and putting yeah. them in that room. Well, that makes that, I didn't even, I didn't know that. I've never heard that before. It makes it interesting because I have somewhere in my notes, he, they talk about like, oh, we don't, I, they didn't know how Amaro got away because it, did he lose track of how many girls were there or did he, mm-hmm. so apparently eight girls lived in that house, the townhouse together. And one of, one girl was spending the night and didn't live there, but just, was hanging out with her mm-hmm. friends and stayed the night there. So people wonder if he knew like, oh, eight people live here. I need to kill eight people or, and that's why he didn't count the ninth person that was there. But if people are coming in, I'm sure he's not thinking about, oh, there's six in here, three, just like doing the math, like in his yeah. head when he's doing all this. So right. that's interesting. It, maybe that's why he didn't think mm-hmm. about, you know, missing someone. Yeah, and, and it's hard to know, you know, why or how he could miss Amaro because, like you said, she's the one who opened the door. But again, mm-hmm. if we're talking about, he's claiming he doesn't remember and how he lost track of, of the women that he had. Mm-hmm. We'll never know because, you know, he claims to not remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we don't, yeah, we don't know if his, and like we've said so many times, his head wasn't in the right place despite if he remembers or not. So, yeah, and the drugs and alcohol too. Mm-hmm. So he was found, was it two days after or one day after someone called for the police? So, so this is what happened. So I don't have the exact dates. So he was at a hotel and he was, he hired a sex worker. Mm-hmm. And the police actually talked to him without knowing who he was yeah. or anything. So um, that's also from that Ramsland article, if anyone's interested. So the cops ended up actually talking to him after the crimes were committed, not knowing who he was. Mm-hmm. So a cu- I have a couple days after the murder, he heard his name in the press and realized that the police were searching for him. So they had mm-hmm. a name on him. Okay. Yeah. Um, they had a name for the offender who did this. Mm-hmm. So he bought a bottle of wine. He checked into a flop house. And he got drunk and he slit his wrists. Now, yes. later he's going to deny that he tried to kill himself. Mm-hmm. He claims that he got into a bar fight and a liquor bottle ended up cutting one of the arteries in his arm. I'm not sure which one. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we don't know. He could be yeah. lying. We don't know if he mm-hmm. you know, intended to kill himself. Um, yeah. But he calls the police for help when he realizes, you know, he's starting to bleed out. They pick him up and they take him to the hospital. And again, they don't know who he is. Yeah. So what happens is, I don't think we brought up his tattoo yet, but Speck has a tattoo on his forearm that says born to raise hell. So when the doctor is cleaning up his wound, he sees it and the tattoo is in the police report because again, the woman 
hiding under the bed, mm-hmm. saw the tattoo, remembered the tattoo, and reported the tattoo. So it's in the police report, it's in the media, it's in the news, and the doctor sees it and he turns him in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is awesome that for yeah. you know that he recognized it and that people were aware of what they who they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, again, it's kind of one of those like we don't know what would happen. We don't know what would happen if if that woman didn't live. Mm-hmm. Would this person have ever gotten caught? Would Speck have ever yeah. gotten caught for this? Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, that's why it kind of it blew my mind when I was reading it. So I have a similar thing about how he went to the hotel and hired a sex worker. I just have like on the, I think I was still looking at Wikipedia for this. So um, I have just a drifter named Claude Lunsford. I don't know if that was a sex worker or just someone else that was there with him, um, was drinking with him at the hotel or wherever he was at the day after the murder and recognized his sketch from the paper. And called the police and said, hey, this is, you know, basically the guy from the sketch in the newspaper. I think it's him, whatever. And they, like you said, he talked to the police. Didn't They didn't arrest him, which, you know, blows my mind. Especially, you know, I don't know if it's right or not. If they called with the intent that, like, hey, this is the, that guy mm-hmm. from the paper. So it just blows my mind if, like, the police didn't take him into custody after talking to him. But then, yeah, and then he got, he attempted suicide and was brought into the hospital, which is also weird because the police that came and talked to him, he, maybe the police just got called because of the, you know, the sex worker was there. I don't know why the police were called Mm -hmm. in that situation, but I had that it was someone called because they recognized him. So I'm like, it's weird to think, oh, the police were called for this, but no, they didn't take him. But then the ambulance came and got him like I feel like it was a a quicker response I don't know Um, yeah it's interesting I didn't hear about that drifter part yeah and I don't I read it was like I didn't type out the whole thing but it was like three two other people and him were drinking and one recognized him at least that's what I I read like I said that can be what you said like maybe it was the sex worker that recognized him or just you know they were caught so yeah, I thought it was interesting, but I'm like, thank God for that surgical resident that recognized his tattoo because mm-hmm. he definitely, he or she, I don't know if it was a male or female, definitely changed the course of the investigation. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I don't know. It it would be interesting to know if he was attempting suicide or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure at that point you're He's probably still drinking on drugs and he sees his face in the paper or his touch, whatever it was in the paper that says it's him. I wouldn't be surprised that he would do that Mm -hmm. or at least try. And this is more medical related, but, you know, to cut an artery is a lot different than to cut a vein Mm -hmm. and people that attempt suicide, you have to do it a certain way to get an artery that will bleed out mm-hmm. so and it sounds bad but we learn about that in school because we're gonna see people in the hospital that have gone through this and we have to know you know what cuts are more detrimental to people mm-hmm. so 
if he cut an artery, he cut deep and he cut with the purpose of bleeding mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's, it would be very unlikely unless someone was attacking him with a bottle or something that he would cut an artery just like scratching it on glass. So, mm-hmm. especially if it was like an artery in the upper arm. Mm-hmm. So. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he definitely, I would, I think he probably tried to kill mm-hmm. himself, which it's, ended it's, up being his downfall, actually. Yeah, so. and it's, yeah, and it's very interesting that if he tried, if he tried to kill himself and then he, you know, has this, oh crap moment, I'm bleeding out, and then mm-hmm. he ends up calling the police for help. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I know, it is, it is an interesting situation, but, mm-hmm. but a lot of the times, you know, people... I can't speak from experience or personal experience, thank God, but people that are attempting suicide, they listen to, this is where I'm getting information from, I listened to a um, a man talk who jumped off a bridge to yeah. kill himself, and he said, like, as soon as he jumped, he thought it was a mistake, Yeah, and, like, maybe that that's, yeah, like, so maybe yeah. that's what he was thinking, like, in that moment, yeah, he wanted to die, mm-hmm. but once he realized what was happening, he's like, yeah. no, we don't yeah, know. I've heard, I've heard that story, too, about the bridge. I think it was the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes, yeah, and it's yeah. a really, that, I forget his name, but it's a really interesting story because mm-hmm. you don't know the headspace people are at, but that's a whole other discussion about, I think you know. that's a TED Talk, actually. Oh, really? I didn't I watch it so. as a TED Talk. I watched it as, like, an interview form, but it is interesting to, especially, it's, you know, it's such a hard topic to talk about, Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really informative and mm-hmm. for anyone, not just for someone sure. going to medicine or psych or, you know, for, for sure. anyone to listen to. But, yeah. okay. So I want to talk while we're still kind of talking about the crime before we get into him, the sentencing and, and all that. I want to talk about Gloria Davy for mm-hmm. a second. So yeah. we mentioned prior that Gloria Davy reminded Speck of his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And Speck hated his ex-wife. I don't know why, but yeah, again, he, he despised women. Mm-hmm. I mean, he beat his mom when he was 18 years old. It's said that Speck suffered from the, it's called the Madonna Whore Complex. So this is from, so Murderpedia claims that he suffered from this. And so, of course, I'm curious and I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> so... There's a 2018 article written by, and I'm going to butcher these names, Orly Barraquette, Rodan, Kahalan, Nurich, Nabil, and Peter Glick. So if you're curious on the name of the article, it is called The Madonna Whore Dichotomy, Men Who Perceive Women's Nurturance and Sexuality as Mutually Exclusive Endorse Patriarchy and Show Lower Relationship Satisfaction. So what this complex actually is, is there are two opposite sides of it. So on one side, men have the perception that women are good and pure. So that's the Madonna side of it. Mm-hmm. Have no idea has anything to do with the singer. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the other end, this individual sees women as being bad and promiscuous and essentially they're whores. That's okay. Madonna whore part of it. So men who suffer from this complex become aroused when they can degrade their sexual partner and reduce her down as just an object for sex. Okay. And the great Sigmund Freud actually has this in his in his theory, which I didn't know about. I've been studying psychology since I was 
18 years old, had no idea that <laughs> this, this was part of his, his theories. So Freud says that the complex is rooted in um, men's unresolved sensu- sensual feelings towards their mothers. So remember, he hates his mom. Yeah. And so these unresolved feelings towards their mothers leads to dysfunction in their sexual relationships. And so he also stated that, you know, women don't deserve to be treated nicely. Mm-hmm. And he's actually quoted when somebody asks him, you know, why did you do it to this nurses? He just, he's quoted as saying, it just wasn't their night. So mm-hmm. he has absolutely no regard for any yeah. type of women or, or, you know, anybody for that matter. Yeah. So there are a lot of, I think it's uh, to be fair to this, this theory, because remember, it is just a theory. Mm-hmm. Um, different theories have argued that this complex ignores how cultural, how culture and social structure shape the way men see women. And then feminist theory um, states that this complex reinforces unequal gender roles, which limits women's self-expression agency and freedom. Okay. So that makes sense because yeah. like, obviously didn't think that women deserve freedom and yeah. and anything for that matter, except to be used as sexual objects. Mm-hmm. So he said to have suffered from that. I think it makes sense because if he hated his ex-wife so much and Gloria Davy reminds him of that, if she is the only one that he raped, this makes sense to me. Yeah. Especially since he didn't have a great relationship with his mom. Yeah. Yeah, especially I'm sure he one, saw his mom being abused by his stepfather, and two, he probably, like, he was abused by his stepfather, like, he probably blames his mom for letting him into their lives, and that's, I could see that happening, and that's why he has those feelings towards her, and all that built up anger, and obviously, like, let it out when he, when he beat her at 18, but, Mm -hmm. and especially, I don't know why him and his wife split, I don't know what, if there's, it seems like there's bad blood between them. You know, I don't know what the whole story is with them, but it definitely is interesting because, and that's, it's crazy to me that he said that, like, basically, oh, nurse, those nurses, they're at the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, no, you did that to them. Like, it wasn't like. Yeah. It's like you came into their house. Yeah. Like it wasn't their day. Like if they're having a bad day, like they're gonna spill coffee on themselves or something not it just wasn't their night yeah that's that's insane like that just shows like whether he has that madonna horror complex or not like obviously there's something wrong with him believing that (laughs) no matter even like even if you were to look at oh this this girl got murdered in another state oh well it wasn't her night like that sucks to suck basically like no that something's yeah. It has to be wrong with you if you're thinking yeah. that way. It's, it's victim blaming. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how dare these eight nursing students be in their own house at night? Yeah. Yeah. And back then, it's like, you know, we were like true crime. Like, we watch true crime. We've learned about all these things. And so, if someone knocks on my door and I don't know who it is, I'm not answering the door. Mm-hmm. But like back then, there was like this you know, trust of people mm-hmm. that they didn't like, they didn't think about. All, that's why they're all these. A lot of the serial killers and stuff we'll talk about are from this era because people didn't believe that that stuff happened, even though it was happening all the time. For sure. For sure. It's absolutely victim blaming, but I mean, he doesn't care about them to begin with. So of course he's going to be like, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, well, wasn't their night. Yeah. So. so going past, so when he was at the hospital, he says that surgical resident said that he confessed to the murders while he was sedated, but he didn't, the surgical resident did not testify in court because the patient, like, Speck was sedated. So there's no, like, you can't believe technically what he was yeah. saying at that that's, time. That's interesting because I have in my notes that he never confesses to them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have. Uh, I this It's interesting. Like I, I know. Like I said, it's from Wikipedia. So, you know, it could be mm-hmm. incorrect and someone can please let us know if anything we say is incorrect. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, the apparently the surgical resident, he never like, I. it's probably stated it's probably not like he never confessed because technically even you can't use that he confessed under sedation as an argument that he confessed to them because people say crazy things when they're sedated Mm -hmm. or on drugs. And Mm -hmm. so that's probably why the surgical resident, I mean, he didn't testify. I think he just said to the cops like, Oh, he said this while he was here Mm -hmm. and then couldn't, they couldn't do anything with that information. Yeah. But then Amaro, who was under the bed, the girl that got away, was able to identify Speck in court as the man who killed her friends and classmates. So I don't know what you have. Do you have anything specifically for the court case like that you wanted to bring up? I did read somewhere, I can't remember, it might have been on, on Murderpedia, that she actually, I don't know if she got up from the stand, but she pointed at him and looked at him mm-hmm. in the face and, and oh, yeah. said, like, it was you. Mm-hmm. So, like, good on her for doing that. Yeah. I don't have specifics about uh, the court case, per se, about, like, anything lawyer said or mm-hmm. or his defense or anything, but I do have sentencing. So, if you want to jump in the sentencing. Yeah, well, well, before, that's why I asked. I just wanted to say I, I found that the jury took 49 minutes to deliberate, and I think that is... I feel like is, that's still a little too long. Yeah, but, well, yeah, but I... <laughs> I appreciate that they didn't take as long as some of the cases you see, like hours and hours. I'm like, they really took what, Mm -hmm. you know, Amaro testified, you know, took that to, you Mm -hmm. know, meet the truth, which is good. I'm glad that they were able to come to the conclusion pretty quickly. For sure. And I do just want to say that I think Amaro is, is extremely brave for looking him in the face and, and pointing at him, but also to just, testify to begin with and to have to sit up there and tell her story and to say this is what happened you know and talk Mm -hmm. about her friends and her classmates in that manner is extremely courageous especially going through a traumatizing experience like that oh yeah I that is like something that I feel like I probably wouldn't be able to do like I just would be a wreck all the time and Mm -hmm. it's just amazing that she was able to do that too be able to lock him up and you know make him pay for the crimes that he did to her friends and to his past crimes that he really Mm -hmm. wasn't ever never got in trouble for so yeah yeah it's extremely brave and she's Mm -hmm. awesome honestly I've done what she did anything else before we go into sentencing no that's all I have so I have that he was originally sentenced to death on June 5th of 1967 um unfortunately on November 21st, 1972, he was resentenced to 400 to 1200 years in prison. Mm-hmm. But even that sentence was reduced to a maximum of 300 years. But he died of a heart attack 
in prison mm-hmm. on December 5th of 1991. And I did not realize, I guess I just didn't think that he lived until 1991. Mm-hmm. It seems yeah. super like recent to me. It's not yeah. recent, recent, but it seems recent to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I was the same way I saw him. I was like, oh, wow. But yeah, I have that, you know, he was obviously found guilty and the death penalty was recommended by the jury, electric chair. And then the death penalty, I don't know what date you said. Because I know you said the um, years it was, but in 1971, the Supreme Court reversed the death sentence for him because 250 jurors were unconstitutionally excluded from his jury because of their religious beliefs against capital punishment. So basically they were, you know, setting it up so they would, he would get death penalty. It is wrong to exclude jurors based on beliefs. So that's why he never... Like he, the death penalty was reversed for him. Um, I have a quote from his time in prison. This is also from Wikipedia. That in, so it says, Speck stated that at the time of the killings, he had no feelings, but things had changed. I had no feelings at all that night. I said that there was blood all over the place. I can't remember. I felt like nothing. I'm sorry as hell for those girls, for their families, and for me. If I had to do it over again, it would be a simple house burglary. Speck's final thoughts for the American people was, just tell them to keep up their hatred for me. I know it keeps up their morale. I don't know what I'd do without it. So That's, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, because Except their morale is an interesting statement. Like, almost, yeah, it almost feels like, it's almost like on the one end he's saying like, yes, I deserve to be hated. But on the other mm-hmm. end, it's like, let them do it so they can feel all high and mighty for yeah exactly like it's like oh whatever keeps like whatever floats their boat they can keep hating me like wasn't my fault but you know like that's what it feels like to me um and but i also it says i don't know what i'd do without it like is he saying that that's their hatred is keeping him going as well i don't know but yeah interesting uh interesting quote Sure. Yeah, I thought it was super inter- interesting. That's why I put it in there. Because also, he says he doesn't remember, but then he says, like, there was, he remembers, obviously, blood all over the place. It felt like nothing. I don't know. It's just kind of back and forth. Like, it's like, he doesn't remember. He remembers little bits. Or he's sorry. He's not sorry. It just shows where, it's just, honestly, all his things that he said and has done just shows he doesn't care. It's just something that happened. It's, that's it. <laughs> and, like, he said oh, if I had to do it over, it'd be a simple house burglary. Like, okay, well, you shouldn't do that either. Right, right. You know? Like, (laughs) oh, well, stealing's bad, but it's not as bad as murder, which, like, yes, it's true, but also, like, don't do that either. Yeah, like, at least he could have said, oh, I wish I didn't do it. Like, don't say, oh, I wish I would have just done the burglary. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just just crazy. (laughs) Yeah, And, and something else that I think to keep in mind, and this doesn't, say that anything he ever did in his life was okay it's not mm-hmm. um but he was also of very low intelligence and i have seen oh, yeah. that cited in a number of articles that i read mm-hmm. uh, so again that's not <laughs> saying that you know what he did was okay it's not yeah. you know condoning his behavior by any means but because he was of such low intelligence you know these comments he's making what he's doing and stuff you mm-hmm. know he, that could also be a reason other than mental illness um, that could also be a reason why he doesn't have that empathy. He doesn't have that emotion and he has yeah. that callousness for human life. 
Yeah. And especially with women, it's like all his known crimes or, you know, semi-known crimes have been against women. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it makes sense that he doesn't feel like it matters. Yeah. He, and he hates women, clearly. Yeah. But yeah, he died of, so he died one day shy of his 50th birthday. And he died of an enlarged heart, emphysema, and clogged arteries, which would make sense, you know. Emphysema is a lung issue, and he did a lot of drugs, a lot of smoking. Clogged arteries, the same thing, like drinking, smoking, drugs. I'm sure he didn't live the healthiest lifestyle. He died from all that. And I'm just, I'm glad that he's not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Who knows, if he, even if they kept the death penalty, he might have he might still be alive or might have just died still from the heart attack because people on death row for years and years and years Mm -hmm. yeah for sure for sure so something i think would be interesting to read is so if anyone knows the show mindhunter Mm -hmm. um so the book that that those characters are based off of is whoever fights monsters by Robert Ressler, Tom uh, Chapman, and Charles Spicer. So um, mm-hmm. I've read most of the book. I never finished it because uh, <laughs> books. I've been reading Salem's Lot for three months. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's an excerpt that I want to read super quick about, I think it's, I don't know which of these um, authors interviewed him. I want to say it was Ressler, but I'm not 100% sure. One of these three who wrote the book mm-hmm. uh, went to talk to him at his time in prison. And this is an excerpt from that. So if you've seen Mindhunter and you've seen the Richard Speck episode, you'll recognize the bird excerpt of it. So this is going to be a direct quote from Whoever Fights Monsters. um, And this starts on page 131, if anyone's interested. Um, In prison, a guard told me Speck had captured a sparrow and made a pet of it, tied a string around its leg and wore it on his shoulder. One of the guards told him to get rid of it as pets were not allowed in prisons. Speck did not. After several go-arounds, the guard told Speck that if he didn't get rid of the sparrow, he would be put into solitary. At that, Speck walked over to a rotating fan and threw the bird in it. It was demolished. The surprised guard said, what did you do that for? I thought you liked the sparrow. And Speck is reported of saying, I did, but if it ain't mine, it ain't nobody's. It goes on to say, Speck didn't want to talk to us and was surly and posturing when he was brought in to see us. One of the prison guards began talking to him, though, and eventually told Speck that he had been a single man in Chicago at the time of Speck's murders and was a bit annoyed that Speck had taken eight eligible young women away from the prowling bachelors of the city. If you've seen Mindhunter, Holden is, says that quote, and he says it in a more um, demeaning way towards the women, if you've seen the episode. Um, but it was actually a guard in real life, according to this book. So Speck started to chuckle and loosen up a bit. The author of this book continues to say that he was uneasy and he didn't want to make light of the victims at all. You know, mm-hmm. there's no excuse for those who have suffered. And he's like, I don't, I don't like trying to get on the good side of the, the, the murderer to make light of what he did. He said, as I quickly discovered, he didn't have much to say and little insight into his own condition. Speck displayed a callousness for human life, admitting that he had killed his victims so they couldn't testify them. So there's kind of a little discrepancy in research that he killed them so they couldn't testify, but then he mm-hmm. never, but then there's other articles that say he never confessed to it. And then there's articles that, mm-hmm. that he's quoted as saying he doesn't remember doing it. 
Yeah. So who really knows, you know, what or why he did it. Yeah. Uh, frustrated by his low intelligence and bad attitude, I tried to get something out of the interview and inquired as to how he had ended up in the hospital where his tattoo had been recognized. Though several doctors believed that the cut to the artery in his elbow had been the result of a botched suicide attempt made in the flop house where he lived after the murders, Speck denied this, saying that he'd been in a fight in a bar and had been cut by a broken whiskey bottle. Ten years after the crime, he was still trying to be the macho man. So again, we, we've talked all, about all that, but I think mm-hmm. this excerpt was interesting to read um, mm-hmm. to kind of get um, an idea of how he was when he was in prison. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like, to me, it's interesting that he apparently, supposedly, attempted suicide once he knew his, he was being looked for. And then, but then while he's in prison, he, you know, acts like he's the greatest thing ever. It's interesting that he was still trying to be, like, the tough guy, the macho man, yeah. as wrestler calls him, and, and all this stuff. So, I don't know. It's, he's an interesting guy, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I liked yeah. that that excerpt. Um, yeah, whoever fights monsters. It's a really good book. If anyone mm-hmm. if anyone likes the show Mindhunter, mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting how they how they pulled stuff from the real life experiences of these interviews into into the TV show. Yeah, I definitely want to read it. It's on my to be read list. Oh, and then so for anyone that's interested, you've talked about Mindhunter, and I like these things. I like when. TV shows, like when I can relate something that happened mm-hmm. in real life to a TV show. So Specs has been mentioned in a few TV shows, or at least some episodes of TV shows have been like based off of his crimes. So one of them is in American Horror Story, season one, episode two specifically. There's two young nurses are held hostage and killed by a home invader. Ryan Murphy, the director, said that was inspired by Specs murders. Um, there's an episode of Law and Order, Special Victims Unit that is called Nationwide Manhunt, based on the nurses' murders in Spec. Um, obviously, Mindhunter, like you just mentioned, it's episode nine of season one, if anyone's interested in that specific episode. And then episode four of season five of Mad Men, the episode's title is Mystery Date, and it's there's multiple references to Spec's murders mm-hmm. in that as well. So mm-hmm. if anyone's interested, you can go to Wikipedia Mm-hmm. Just look up Richard Speck and it'll say all the movies, mm-hmm. all the TV shows, all music, if he's ever, like, mm-hmm. if things reference him or the murders. So and, Yeah, and just to piggyback off that, remember, those are TV shows. They, yeah. don't, they don't tell the entire truth. Just like mm-hmm. in Mindhunter, he kills the bird and the fan in front of the two FBI um, agents. That doesn't happen mm-hmm. in real life. Yeah. Um, so just kind of, you know, do that. Mm-hmm. Um so you talked about the TV shows. Um, in 2000, I got some like songs and, and stuff that are oh, also okay. So a movie, we'll start with the movie. There's a 2002 movie called Spec that was made about the okay. case. I don't know about that. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, the Simon and Garfunkel song, 7 O'Clock News, was comprised, and I'm quote, I'm directly reading and quoting this from Murderpedia, just so okay. people know. Um, the Simon and Garfunkel song Seven O'Clock News was, com- was comprised of several radio broadcasts being read against the soothing silent night and contained the verse in Chicago, Richard Speck accused murder of nine student nurses was brought before a grand jury today for indictment. The nurses were found stabbed and strangled in their Chicago apartment. There's also a cheap trick song, The Ballad of TV Violence, that's about Speck. Um, and the song is sung from a murder of the murderer's point of view. 
It was originally titled The Ballad of Richard Speck, but the band changed it out of concern for the families of Speck's victim. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have a song, Born to Raise Hell, which again is the, his tattoo quote, which appeared in the animated film Rock and Roll. Um, it may be a reference to Richard Speck's tattoo, although this is unconfirmed. Uh, in addition, portraits of the eight nurses Speck murdered were made into a painting series by German artist, I'm going to butcher this name, Gerhard Richer, titled Eight Student Nurses. So just some more stuff, trivia yeah. about to the different things that were made. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's awesome. It's definitely, it's important for people to do their research and, you know, not, like you said, TV shows, movies. Yeah you know, documentaries even about certain things aren't always completely accurate. As Mm -hmm. everyone heard, like we have even had like some conflicting, Mm -hmm. you know, information because it's hard to know everything. We don't have access to police files. Like we're just getting it off the information, off the internet. So for sure, uh, for sure. I just, I think it's interesting to see true crime pop up in TV shows and, you know, Law and Order and Mindhunter, they use things that are at least some of it is documented like real stuff that happened Mm -hmm. so yeah and it's definitely nice to see that that true crime is getting more acceptable I guess is Mm -hmm. the word I used to be interested in I think people still look at me kind of funky when I'm like (laughs) oh man like let me tell you about this guy yeah but I think with all of the podcasts coming out about it Mm -hmm. all of the tv shows being made about it all the books that are being published about it it definitely doesn't make me feel like I'm on this little island by myself (laughs) being a weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is, you know, a lot better. I grew up, my mom is super into true crime has always been and my grandma's same way. So that's probably where she got it Mm -hmm. from, but it's nice. You know, people always look at me crazy when I talk about it, but I always say like, Hey, now I'm getting more information about things. I know what to look out for in certain situations. Mm -hmm. It's making people more aware that bad things do happen and that you need to be careful. For sure. You know, back then no one really second guessed opening the door for a random person. Mm -hmm. You know, now we're hiding under, (laughs) under things to avoid the window window to make sure they don't see me peeking out the window. Yeah, exactly. So, and I don't think, that's a bad thing you know everyone some people say like I wish we could just go up to someone's houses like unexpectedly not text them or call them but you know it gives us that sense of security at least that I like yeah it's always I think it's it's interesting and you know there's obviously still bad things happening murder serial killers now but it definitely is a different time that Mm -hmm. we have cell phones and video footage of things and yeah and being able to track people and and Mm -hmm. being like "Hmm, you know my my husband my wife my sister was supposed to be home by now I'm gonna you know track her phone and see Mm -hmm. see what's going on and and I think that has definitely been able to get a a jump on investigations as well Mm -hmm. um, to be being like okay her cell phone is here but that's not that's not a place that first she would usually go or or something Mm -hmm. that effect I think yeah technology now has definitely I think technology has also made it easier for these people as well Mm -hmm. oh yeah like to prey on young Mm -hmm. kids on the internet and Mm -hmm. you know it's a scary place I have two Mm -hmm. younger sisters and you know I'm always afraid that they Mm -hmm. you know won't think about the consequences of things online yeah it's interesting to look at the you know how things have changed caught the golden state killer because of new technology that wasn't Mm -hmm. around back then 
-hmm. So, you know, there's positives and negatives too, as we go on throughout and build on technology. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. There's definitely um, good and bad to, to a lot of things Mm -hmm. that, that are becoming new. All right. I think that's all I have for spec. Yep. He is an interesting guy. So Mm -hmm. like we said, guys, we're, (laughs) we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) We're just, you know, we're just kind of doing it. We're just jumping in. Um, but, um, follow us on Instagram at a latte murder. We also have an email. Uh, it's Mm -hmm. a latte murder at Gmail. So if you are interested in a specific type of conspiracy, again, anything, this is really just a, a true crime conspiracy, anything, podcast right now you know maybe we'll we'll dwindle it down to a specific (laughs) topic but right now we're just kind of making it up as we go yeah we're open to anything open to any critiques criticisms anything we want to make this the best I was telling Kara that I'll probably end up getting a mic so I have better audio Um, and as we evolve we can hopefully get together in person and have better audio that way as well we're going to do things as we can and Hopefully people will listen, and if not, we're still going to do it because it's fun. <laughs> yep. it, gives an, it gives us an excuse to stay friends. Yeah, exactly. We, we wouldn't be friends otherwise. So. Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. We don't know what we're going to do next week since I picked Richard Speck this week. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I don't know if it's going to be a weekly thing. Again, we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah, we'll so. try to keep up with it, but we're both students, like we said. We'll do as much as we can, and when... Mm-hmm. and yeah we'll pick up next week we don't know who we're gonna do yet but and you then can pick as we go, I pick spec I know I'll pick I'll pick I have some listed we'll have maybe some guests in the future such as my mom who is a true crime fanatic and already has her person picked out that she wants to talk oh about so your mom's um, fun yep we have fun things in the future and we'll go from there we'll see how it goes we'll see. it's episode one guys we don't don't yep. Don't turn us off after this because we're annoying <laughs> or, or we don't know what we're doing or it's disorganized. Give us a chance. Yeah. I know. We've never edited things like this before. We'll do our best and just go from there. We have to start somewhere so we yep. can only go up. We listen to um, True Crime Podcasts. We love My Favorite Murder. That was yep. our inspiration. <laughs> Kara it. has a My Favorite Murder shirt on right I now. I do. Um, so we'll just do our own thing, but also mm-hmm. get inspiration from people that have, you know, made this a possibility and made it, mm-hmm. you know, what it is. We Absolutely. respect all all the people that have helped us um, think about what thousand we can percent. do. <laughs> thousand percent. Yeah, and that's and that's you know why we kind of thought of of adding our schooling in and our future mm-hmm. professions in as well to give kind of that. I'm going to say semi-professional because we're not graduated yet. We still got a few months, but kind of that, you know, like I said, I, I was quoting some of my textbooks and some of the articles Mm -hmm. that I've read for my classes. So yeah, add a little uh, ish professionalism to it. Yeah. And if you guys ever want anything extra, if you're like, oh, what Kara really said was cool about this thing, or like, if you like emphasizing certain disorders like we can do that if you think medical stuff is cool we can do that too you know whatever works for everyone and Mm -hmm. we'll try to you know appease as many people as we can 
but yeah and you know if you're like hey do this and it has nothing to do with crime or conspiracy we'll consider it this yeah. is the, uh kind of might be a catch-all kind of thing where we're like yeah, yeah. we're gonna talk about this week nothing that yeah. has to do with anything we've talked yeah. about before let's just do it you know our first fan will shout out you in the next podcast if you email us we already have i won't say your your names but we already have 13 followers and we haven't even published anything yet so look at us go <laughs> grab a cup of caffeine guys and sit on yes. in some dysfunctional yeah. editing talking things that don't make sense yeah this is what we seriously do when we're just hanging out so if it doesn't make sense crazy. i'm sorry yeah it makes sense in our brains all, all right. right well Thanks for listening. Thanks yes. for giving us a chance if you made it through this dysfunctional, disorganized mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, just listen at two times the speed if we talk too long. Yeah. It'll, it'll go faster. <laughs> and I tend to talk fast. So if yeah. I talk too fast, slow it down. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks All for right. listening and tune in next episode for more A Latte Murder.